And now we're going to have a reading from the scriptures. This is a reading from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He responded, Legion is my name because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission, so the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons, sitting there, fully dressed and completely sane, and they were filled with awe. Those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs. Then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. While he was climbing into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. But Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. The man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm the one in the middle of the screen with a white shirt on, and... I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. As Cameron mentioned, we are in the middle of a series going through the book of Mark. Mark is one of the gospels that tells the life and teachings of Jesus. But we've made a commitment here during this season where we're studying Mark 
that we are going to study it through a very particular lens. Unbound, uh, a journal produced by uh, the Presbyterian Church, actually, uh, recruited a bunch of queer thinkers and scholars and pastors and teachers to comment on each chapter of the book of Mark. And so we are entering into the text through the lens of these queer leaders who are reading it and interpreting it from their experience. Because here at Zao, we believe that reading the text from the margins on purpose gives us an entirely different vantage point. And that by joining together these varying perspectives on the scriptures, we come to a more complete and holy image of God. Now, the commenter today is M. Jade Barclay. M. is the uh, co-founder and director of Enfleshed, which is an incredible resource of poetry and liturgy from a queer Christian perspective. I genuinely, like if you all pulled out your phones right now to follow Enfleshed on Instagram, I would be a totally happy camper. So don't be shy about pulling out your phones in service. But M is particularly important to me, probably in a way that they have no idea about, because 10 years ago, when I was coming out of the closet as a non-binary trans person and starting to use they, them pronouns, I didn't actually know anyone who used they, them pronouns, but I knew of M. M was in my city, we both lived in Chicago at the time, and they were a leader, not only in queer community, but in the church. They were the first ordained deacon who was out as a trans person in the United Methodist Church, our denomination. And knowing about them, viewing their work from afar, seeing them in passing at coffee shops and kind of, you know, fanning out, like, that has had a huge impact on me and has pushed me in my queerness, in my transness, and in my boldness to see and understand the gospel from my experience of marginalization. And here they are, pushing me again today with this reading. You see, M made the case in their commentary that a true queer and trans reading of the scripture is to bring the perspective that we have in our everyday lives, that any person we encounter could be queer or trans. And we know that culture has erased queerness and transness. We know that, and so we look for little cues, little flags to indicate, oh, that's family. But what if we came with a fully open perspective and wondered about any given character in the scriptures or in our lives and said, hey, what if they're trans? And so M imagines this text, this classic text, by saying, hey, what if that main character, the one who is pushed to the outskirts, the one who is chained and bound, the one who lives in the cave, the one who is plagued by demons, what if that man is a trans man? Now, this is hard for me. I'm not going to lie. I'm a trans person and a trans pastor, and this is still hard for me to imagine that, to really take that seriously, because we don't know, because we have been stripped from the text, because we have no particular clues. But what if? And if that were the case, what would it teach us about who God is? M wonders about this man, what if in discovering who he was, he encountered resistance, rejection from his community, 
and wonders how he got to the margins, why he lives in that cave, in that cemetery on the edge of town, if that happened first, or if the binding, the oppression, the marginalization happened first. What if all of this is about him not conforming to his sex assigned at birth and the kind of demonization he experiences in the aftermath? Now, the community, the community that this man is a part of, he, he would not have been understood by them. They would have outcast him because it didn't make sense. They would have rejected him. And one of the most effective ways of rejecting a vulnerable person is to call them demon-possessed. This is a habit of the powerful, to demonize the vulnerable. Why? Because it isolates people. It is the very nature of marginalization. It justifies pushing people to the edges of communities, of resources, of connections. And then left on the edges of community, left to fend for themselves, marginalized people are even more vulnerable to the true demonic and evil forces of oppression in this world. M describes this process by writing, while demon possession rhetoric may be too passe for even theologically conservative political platforms, the work of demonizing is solidly on trend. Trans women and girls as threat to cis women and girls. Trans activists as threat to children. Trans people as threat to cis LGB people and movements. Whatever they can put a wedge to isolate, they are trying. And the ill intentions of these political and profiting groups prey on the good intentions of parents, communities, teachers, and other people striving to be faithful with the information they have, turning them against their own. M imagines that this community, even the very well-intentioned, was turned against one of their own, their community member, this trans man. And in falling victim to the narratives of empire, the evils of oppression and prejudice and discrimination, they pushed him and pushed him and pushed him to the edges. They bound him. They tried to make him conform, and he wouldn't. He was too strong. And so they isolated him. But he internalized all of these narratives, all of this hate, bombarded with those messages of hate, ostracized from his community of support, left to fend for himself against empire and the lies of oppression, he's begun to internalize that hate and that fight. And now, all alone at the edges, he fights against himself, tearing and scratching at his own body with rocks and metal, now that he is fighting himself, the system doesn't have to work as hard to marginalize him or to hurt him because they have outsourced that work to his own psyche, his own mind. And so now, this man is overwhelmed by it and has less energy to fight back against the very system that put him on the outskirts in the first place. He is possessed by the demons of empire of discrimination, of prejudice, of trauma. And so what I'm describing here is, is something that actually many people in this room have experienced. It's called minority stress. 
It's the extra burden of having to battle against some marginalized experience, some experience of oppression, of pain. And the energy that we put towards either fending that off or internalizing it and fighting within ourselves that takes away from the energy we have not only to live, to flourish, to be free, but also to fight against those systems that hurt us in the first place. And it takes a toll on mental health, which is even more damaging because mental health stigma might have been the reason that we were ostracized in the first place. And if it isn't, it sure is now. So this man, in this understanding of this story, perhaps this trans man fights so hard against the system, against the lies that the people around him have internalized are telling him that he is in perpetual fight mode, even cutting at his own body, trying to be free. So how does Jesus enter into this story? M suggests that Jesus approaches this man this beloved child of God, and comes in and does two things right away. He orders those narratives, those demons, those spirits of empire out of him, and Jesus recognizes him for who he is, saying to the spirit, come out of this man. Now both acknowledging that the stories are a lie, a lie from the devil, and acknowledging that this man is a man. He is who he knows himself to be, not who he is called by the community, but he is a man seen by his creator. M imagines this moment as a powerful affirmation of gender, a healing recognition from Jesus to this child of God. Now, another detail of this story that I have, have always found really fascinating is all of the military references and images in it. This is one of those moments where historical context really matters because we might miss it, but it would have been glaringly obvious to those who heard it when it was first told and retold and written down. Because when the demon identifies itself, it says, we are legion, for we are many. Now we might hear that and say like, oh, that's a lot of demons. But legion actually meant something specific. Legion meant a specific amount of someone. Roman soldiers. The occupying force. This demon is a demon of empire. It is a legion of the foot soldiers of empire that is possessing this man. And so Jesus recognizes empire. Jesus recognizes systems of evil and oppression. They call themselves out by name. Yes, we are legion. We are the foot soldiers of empire. We are the lies that we tell the marginalized to keep them fighting themselves, to keep them wounded and on the outskirts, to keep them away and isolated, to keep them from finding healing and community and truth. We are legion. We are many. So what does Jesus do? Does Jesus turn tail and run? No, because Jesus is real confident when it comes to leveling empire. In fact, Jesus is so confident that the demon is scared. And it says, hey, don't, don't end me, all right? Like, uh, I'll hang out with those pigs. 
which is always a little funny to me because this is a military occupying force. You could argue that these are the cops of the Roman Empire. <laughs> and so perhaps it is Jesus and these demons who are making the first association between the cops and pigs. <laughs> but they say, hey, we'll go hang out with the pigs. It's cool. So Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, you want to go with the pigs? Great. Yeah, okay. So Jesus casts them out in the, into the pigs. And then the pigs immediately run into the lake and drown. Because the empire cannot stand. It cannot just find another vessel. The empire must be destroyed for the people to be free. And even the verb that is used in the scripture here to describe the way the pigs move, they charge. They charge down the lake. They charge like a military force. These are the foot soldiers of empire. And Jesus will not allow them to merely divert into another force. Once the demons are gone, this man, now recognized for who he is, now given some amount of freedom granted to him by Jesus to reject the lies of empire, to be strong in who he is and not bound, but to be unbound, strong, free, and himself recognized, held in community and relationship. He is calm. He is at peace. He is healed. Now, the community around is not on board yet, so they are begging Jesus to leave. But Jesus tells the man to go and tell everyone that someday they might understand and get on board, that they might also be freed from the lies of empire, that the foot soldiers of oppression could be banished and the people could be made whole again. So who are the real demons here? This story is called the Gerasene demoniac, as though this man from Gerasene is characterized first and foremost by these demons. But the demons are legion, the demons are empire. And this man, he was fighting, he was wild, he was hurting himself. How could anyone tell the difference where he began and the empire, the narratives, the demon ended? How do you tell the difference between what is in you that is holy and true and what is at war with you, a lie from the outside. I met someone recently who is telling me about a voice she hears in her inner monologue, a critical voice. Some of you might recognize a critical voice, a voice that tells her sometimes that she's lazy or stupid this voice tells some of us, you can't handle this, or no one cares about you. This person calls that voice Frank. <laughs> and this voice is horrible. So she says, shut up, Frank. She pushes back against that voice that is lying to her, that voice that is hurting her. And honestly, that's not a bad strategy, because you don't want to listen to your inner critic. What they're saying is not true or helpful. What they're saying is the internalized messaging of empire and oppression. But what if Frank 
What if the voice inside your head is not actually the demon? What if the voice inside your head isn't just an outside script? What if it's you? What if it's a part of you, locked away in a cave, trying to deal with the evil in the world, lashing out, fighting back, perhaps trying to keep you hidden and safe? What if Frank is the part of you that you've demonized? What would happen if you responded with compassion and curiosity, trying to find out who is really hurting you, where the lies are really coming from, what foot soldiers of empire have gotten into your mind? So when Frank says, you sound stupid when you talk, you should just shut up. Or maybe, why would you even go to that event? No one wants you there anyway. Maybe Frank is trying to protect you from the rejection you've experienced. When you weren't valued, acknowledged, or seen. When people didn't take you seriously. Maybe that first happened to you when you were a kid and vulnerable. Maybe it happens to you more than other people because you're a woman, or because you're a person of color, or because you're trans. The real problem is the oppression in the world, this generational trauma that we keep cycling through, the systems of evil that devalue people and justify pushing them to the edges. And Frank is trying to keep you in line, or to hide you away, or to gear you up for a fight. So we don't want to listen to Frank because we want to take that risk of being ourselves. We want to take that risk of showing up fully. We want to take that risk of being fully alive. But we don't need to belittle Frank like the world does or tell him to shut up. We can say, hey, I know it's really scary to put yourself out there. And I know that sometimes the world sets us up to fail. I'm so sorry that you've been ignored or ridiculed or rejected when you tried to put yourself out there. That shouldn't have happened to you. You deserve better. And that's why I'm going to speak my mind. And I'm going to notice that there are people who like when I'm around. And I'm going to notice that I like when I'm around. And I want to hear what I have to say. And others want to hear what I have to say. Who I am matters. And it is good that I took the risk to be here, to be myself, to show up. And if I can't even see me, then I know Jesus can see me. Jesus will call me by name. Jesus will reject the lies of empire. Jesus will cast them out, see me, recognize me, love me for who I was created to be. And together, we can find one another. We can build community. We are going to fight the systems that fed us these lies. We are going to trust in Jesus that we are loved and, per and perfect and protected we are going to build the kingdom together that Jesus has promised us where all are made free from the lies of evil and empire. And if you don't think you can find the strength to tell that to your inner critic, 
maybe imagine that Jesus is saying it to the both of you, putting a hand on your shoulder, saying, I love you. You are perfect the way you are. And I know you're trying to protect yourself. I know you're trying to fight against all those messages you've been told and that fight that is turned inward. But I'm here to fight for you. And so are my people. I'm here to protect you. And so are my beloveds. So you can just rest in who you are, which is exactly who I created you to be. Will you pray with me? Spirit of truth, may you speak to us. May you cut through the lies. May we breathe you in deeply. People gathered, I invite you to take some deep breaths right now to feel the spirit present in your body, your beloved and precious body. God, heal us. Draw us in towards one another. May we find connection and community at the margins. May we cast off the lies, those moments, those parts of ourselves that have been demonized. May we see ourselves in your perfection. And may we hope and work and live toward a future where all may be made free. Amen.